following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Have you ever felt like um, God was trying to get your attention? I I hope you have. Um, Where you feel like everywhere you look, around every corner, there is this message that he's trying to get you to see. I, I honestly feel, church, that we are in one of those seasons. We've been through Psalms. Uh, in the summer, we looked at the book of Ruth. We've now looked in Genesis as we've looked at Joseph's story in life. And I feel like each and every week, God is just pointing us back, uh, directing us back to this idea that our God is sovereign over all things, that he is sovereignly ruling over all things, that our lives are not accidental, that he is not caught off guard or by surprise, and that we are not a series of chances. And I feel like the Lord's just been directing us back and reminding us that we have tremendous value and purpose, but it's not because all of this revolves around us and it's all about us. We have this tremendous value and purpose because we are a part of a much bigger, grander, more beautiful, full story. Been reminded of his providence and his sovereignty. So as we get to our text, which by the way is Genesis 40 and 41, if you have your Bibles, you can grab them, turn with me there. Honestly, I feel like we are going to get this same thing just again, but this time it's going to lead us to ask a question. God is sovereign, so now what? God is is sovereign, what now? Uh, He provides, so what now? What should we do? How should we live our lives in light of the sovereignty and the providence of God? That is where we are heading. And um, you know what? Um, Before we get there, I would like to just take a moment and come to the Lord in prayer uh, specifically for his help as we navigate through this. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, The fact that we're able to come together and to come before you like this and to come around your word like this is just incredible. We come to your word now with humility, knowing that we are not here to hear good ideas from each other, but here this morning, we come to hear from you, to respond to you and to, Lord, help us not settle for anything less than that. And because that is our aim, um, We come to you pleading and asking for your help, that you would speak this morning, that you would help us listen and to apply for the glory of your name. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Um, Amen. Amen. All right. So we look at our text. Joseph is the dreamer. He's the dream guy. We're going to see a lot of that. Uh, We've already seen a little bit of it. So if you remember when we looked at Genesis 37, uh, Joseph tells his brother about dreams. You remember that? <laughs> Didn't go well for him. Um, he, he shares with his brothers, hey, brothers, I had a dream that you're going to bow before me. And that was, it didn't work well for Joseph, but it was 
true. We'll get to that here in a bit. But um, through this process, his relationship with his family was broken. And, but God gave him those dreams for a purpose and a reason. He did. But as we saw, he was betrayed by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit, sold into slavery. Um, but the Lord has his way of getting Joseph right where he needs him to be, because through that he is brought by God via the slave sellers into Egypt. And as we saw last week, he lands in Potiphar's house, and um, the favor of God was just all over Joseph in Potiphar's house. He manages well. Things are going well for him, and, jo- and Potiphar leaves Joseph in charge of all his stuff until he is lied about, until he's arrested for something he didn't do, and until he is thrown um, into prison. But even in this moment, Joseph does the same thing in prison that he did for Potiphar. Um, he, he blesses wherever he goes. He makes wherever he finds himself a better place. I mean, listen to the scriptures. So, you don't have to turn back with me here, but in verse 5 of, of 39, it says, From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house of Potiphar um, for jo- Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field, and he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So in other words, it's like, you know what? I'll worry about picking up something for lunch. Everything else in my life, Joseph's got it. Joseph's got it. Everything else. This was Joseph's and this was Joseph in Potiphar's house. Now, what about prison Joseph? Prison Joseph, a few verses down, listen to the similar words here in verse 22. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So the same thing here. The prison guard is like, look, I'll worry about getting lunch. My man Joseph, he's got the rest This was Joseph. Wherever he was, wherever he was placed for the good or the bad, he seems to be making that place a better place because he's there. And wherever he was, I don't know if you noticed this, but as we just read, wherever he was, those around him noticed him. They relied on him. And not just noticed him, but each and every person around Joseph notices the hand of God through him. Wherever he was, God was glorified. So when we think about what it looks like to live in light of the sovereignty and the providence of God, I want to give it all away at the front this morning, then we're going to unpack it. It has to start right here. God is sovereign, so make where you are a better place for his glory. Our God is sovereign So make wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, wherever you are, a better place for his glory. It struck me that Joseph did not have to take this attitude. He could have been totally justified in pouting. I mean, how could I look where I am? Um, I'm just going to sit here until I get out. Why would I help these people? Like He could have had that, that attitude. Now, we aren't given the details of how Joseph feels. I'm sure he hit some low moments. 
We are given the details about what he did, though. And Joseph, in house or in prison, makes where he is a better place, and he does it in the name of the Lord. What does it look like to live in the sovereignty and the providence of God? Right up front, it's to make where you are a better place for his glory. And I love our text because it is so on display. So as we roll into chapter 40, Verse 1, Joseph is still in prison. It says sometime after this. Again, sometime after he was thrown in prison. So Joseph is here in prison. We have two men, the cupbearer of the king and his baker, committed an offense against their lord, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And the Pharaoh was angry with his two officers and the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, the prison where Joseph just so happened to be. And the captain of the guard, because Joseph was blessing wherever he was, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with him, and he attended them, and they continued for some time in custody. And this sets the stage for the dreams. Now, um, I do, I know we have a lot of text to cover, but I do want to take a quick pause button moment. Um, Joseph's story is filled with dreams, visions, interpretations of dreams, And although it's not the primary point of our text, it is not, and that's why I don't want to spend a lot of time here this morning, I do believe that this is a good teaching moment for us as it comes to things like dreams and visions. I want to ask you, does God still do this? Does God still speak in dreams and interpretations and I mean, reading this, I think the majority of us would read this in honesty and say, you know, my life isn't a lot like that. I mean, I don't work in dreams. Not many of us do. Um, Things seem a little different, but how, listen, real quick, because again, this is not the main point, so I want to be quick. Um, I want to keep what's primary, primary here. Uh, But can God still speak to us in dreams, in interpretation? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Can I believe we see it in Scripture. We see it throughout the Old Testament, for example, in stories like this. We also see it in, in texts like Joel 2 that says, hey, in the end, young men, they're going to see these dr- dreams and visions. They're going to see it. And you see Peter preaching in Acts 2, and he says, same thing Joel did. He quotes Joel, and we see this throughout the text, that in the end, these things are going to happen. Can God do this? Yes, yes, yes. But, but, but. <laughs> We have two things that Joseph did not have, and I want us to start with this because it's important to understand. Uh, Number one, we have the Spirit of God indwelling us. We have the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now living in us, and that, to understatement of the morning, changes a lot. It changes everything. Jesus ascends and sends his spirit. Because of that, we now believe in the thing that we call the priesthood of all believers, that we are indwelled, that that God through his spirit dwells in us, lives in us, and not only does the spirit of God now dwell in us because of the work of Jesus Christ, but church, we have this. Um, The word of God, scripture, the special revelation of God, and in this, we have our ultimate authority. Meaning, our God is not going to contradict himself. If you have a dream that goes against this, it was bad pizza, it was not God. Okay? He's not going to contradict, he's not going to change his mind, that's what authority means. 
But it's not only that this is our authority, but I want to talk to you real quick about sufficiency. This is sufficient. What I mean by that is in this, we have all we need for life and godliness. We have all we need to understand the fullness of the gospel. In this, we have it. It is sufficient, clear, and it has all authority. So as your pastor this morning, as we close this pause button and we hit resume, um, I want to encourage you, as crazy as this may sound, not to chase extra things. Not to look for other answers. But instead, I want to challenge you this morning, guided by the Spirit, through the Spirit, run to this, search this, stand on this, rely on this, Come to this, cling to this, believing that in it is authority, believing that this is sufficient. And then, church, leave the extra things to God. Here's what I mean by this. If he wants to get your attention, he will. Ask Jonah. He will. Because in in this moment, we have the Spirit of God in us, and we have the Word of God in our hands. All right, I told you, wasn't gonna spit. That was a worthy rabbit trail, I believe. You might disagree, but we're back. Resume. Um, so, as we look at God's story unfolding here, we're gonna see how God now uses these dreams here in Joseph's story. Scripture says, verse five, lost my place. Here we go. Verse five. One night they both dreamed, and the cupbearer and the baker, king of Egypt, who were confined in prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, don't rush past this, he saw that they were troubled. This is subtle. I don't want us to miss this. Joseph, who was falsely thrown in prison, Joseph, who could have been pouting, Joseph, who had good reason to pout, to see nothing but his own trouble, Joseph here sees these men who were troubled. He sees them. I think often, often, we can get so wrapped up in our own stuff, in our own life, um, that we can stop seeing others. Have you been there? But part of being a blessing where you are, part of making where you are a better place, is simply seeing others. It's simply seeing others, looking beyond our own stuff to see others and where they are. Joseph sees them. He sees that they are trouble. In verse 7, he, he, he asks them, why are your faces downcast today? So not only does Joseph see them, but then he takes the initiative to intervene. He didn't just see them, but And he didn't need to see them, but he also very easily could have said, look, that is your problem. That is not my problem. But Joseph sees them and he says, why are your faces downcast today? He steps in. Again, part of being a blessing where you are, part of making where you are a better place for the glory of God is simply seeing others and intervening with compassion, stepping in. Looking beyond your own stuff. Are you able to look beyond your own stuff today? I know that I go through seasons where looking beyond my own stuff is difficult and it takes a 
reminder. Can we look beyond our own stuff? Making where we are better, I'll say it like this, is not possible in selfishness. It involves seeing others. It involves intervening. So Joseph here sees them. He sees that they're troubled. He steps in, and they reveal that they're having dreams. And I love this because hearing about this, Joseph says, well, all interpretations, they belong to God. So please tell them to me. Again, giving credit to God for this. And we see in this text, verses 9 through 11, the cupbearer of Pharaoh, one of the highest ranking positions, by the way, um, tells Joseph his dream. Because of time, I'm not going to go through the ins and outs of, this, of each of their dreams. But in verses 12 and 13, Joseph, he hears the, their dream and he gives them the interpretation, gives him. And this interpretation was pretty awesome for this guy. It, it worked out well. He was going to be restored. Everything was going to work out. So in light of this favorable uh, interpretation, Joseph sees the moment and he says, hey, hey, help me out here. He says, only remember me when it's well with you. I know this really worked out well for you. So when you get out, remember me. Please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh as so to get me out of here. For verse 15, I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they would have put me into this pit. I love this verse because it is so human. It, it's, it's not that Joseph was oblivious to the things that were happening to him. They stunk. And he knew it. Even being a blessing wherever he was, it still wasn't sunshine and lollipops for Joseph. He was ready to get out. He was ready. Please don't forget me. We're going to come back to that. But then hearing that favorable interpretation that, that the, the cupbearer got, the other guy, the baker, says, hey, it's a good time to ask for my interpretation. And um, he heard how well it went. He's like, well, now I want to hear. So in verse 16, the baker tells Joseph his dream, only this time, as you read, did not go well for the baker. For the cupbearer, Joseph revealed he would be restored. For the baker, Joseph revealed he would be hanged. And as Chapter 40 ends, this is exactly what happens. It was, it was Pharaoh's birthday. He makes a feast. And in verse 21, it says he restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. All is well. Verse 22, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. See, God spoke through Joseph, and the interpretations both came to pass. Only, in verse 23, as we read at the end of this, there's a yet. Yet, the chief cupbearer, he did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And not only that, but as you look at verse 41 of chapter 41, he didn't just forget him for a day, or two, or three, or a week, or a month. No, after two whole years, meaning... It was two long years of Joseph sitting in prison, falsely accused, abandoned two more whole years. I think, as I think about Joseph's story, that it's a lot easier to read his story than to live it. What I mean by this is like we move through this story in a matter of minutes. We read he has the dream, he interprets it, don't forget me, forgot you one verse, then him back. 
That is not what Joseph would have experienced living through these long years. It's, it would have felt like an eternity to live in this story as Joseph pleased him. Don't forget about me when you get out. Don't you forget about me. But then as he pleads, he walks out and promptly forgets. This would have been a very difficult story to live through. But Joseph, even though he was being a blessing right where he was, must have felt so helpless through these years. But after two years, at the perfect time, there was yet another dream. Only this time it was Pharaoh. Starting to see God's hands. This time it was Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's dream was odd. Seven fat cows, who were then seven plump, I think my translation says, plump cows, um, are then eaten by seven nasty, sickly cows. Um, that's disturbing. I mean, honestly, I don't remember my dreams much. I really don't. Maybe once a year, I'll wake up and remember a dream I had. But if I had this dream, I'd be concerned. Um, then Pharaoh, he has a second dream that's very similar. He has seven plump grains, uh, ears of grain, and then seven more thin, nasty ones sprout up, and they swallow up the nice, plump ones. And this, these dreams, they deeply troubled Pharaoh. It, he knew there was something about these things. It wasn't just the bad pizza that we talked about earlier. It wasn't just that. There was something here. There's something here about these dreams. And so in verse 8, he calls everyone that he could. No one can help. And here we go. Here is the moment, two whole years later, that something finally comes together. Verse 9, then. <laughs> then. Ah, the chief cupbearer says to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. It's about time. Um, but in verse 10, the cupbearer now recounts the story we just walked through. He says, you know, Pharaoh, remember that one time when you hulked out on us and you threw us in prison in your anger? Remember that? And, and we were in prison. We had dreams, and there was a Hebrew there. And while we were in prison, he heard our dreams and interpreted them. Not only that, it happened because, look, here I am. And the baker, he is not. And um, again, it's about time, but God's timing here is perfect. I want you to think about this for a minute. We rarely see the impact and the effect of our choices. I want you to think about this with me for a minute. You, you and I don't really see the ripple effects of our choices. Here in our story, Joseph, if you think about it, he's in prison. He does the right thing. He's being a blessing right where he is. He sees these two men. They're down. He decides to act in compassion, and then poof, they're gone, and... Joseph's not any better for it. Life goes on. Life moves on. Prison is still my reality. Isn't that the way it feels sometimes in our life? We, we do things. We, we act on what we believe to be the right thing. And, and then we have no idea of the impact of our choices. We have no idea the ripples they make. We rarely see them right away. I can think of so many examples. But one of the best examples is for anyone in here who's a teacher. I just want you to think about all of the conversations you have. All of the, the little interactions that you have in the lives of your students. You rarely see the fruit from that. You might see some of it, praise God for that, but you rarely see the fruit of it right away. 
But being a blessing where you are, it doesn't mean that you're going to see it. I, I can think in a very similar way, even in our church, I think of our, our children's ministry. Did you know that last week, um, over a third of our church was 10 years old or younger? It's just awesome. That's something that we need to celebrate. That's just incredible. But um, each week, we, have, we share the gospel with them. We, each week, we, we have you and volunteers. They, they share, they invest in their lives. They're, each week, they're being a blessing right where you are, right where God has called you. And you know what? You may never see the fruit from it. You may never see what God is doing. You might never see the way the Lord takes your words or takes something that you did that you didn't even think about and use it to minister to their lives potentially years down the road. You have no idea. But part of the sovereignty, part of living and understanding the sovereignty of God is just trusting him with your day-to-day even when you don't see. Choosing to be faithful and being a blessing right where you are and trusting God with the rest. And it's not just with our kids because each and every day, no matter who you are, you are faced with the choice. Will I trust that God is sovereign, that he is in control, and will I be a blessing right where he has me? Every day we face this choice, knowing I might not see the fruit of it, knowing, um, knowing that there are things that I don't see going on behind the scenes, but knowing that God is sovereign, that he is working, and trusting him, ultimately knowing that it is not about us, that it is about him and his glory. We have this choice that we face. And this was Joseph's story, being faithful where, with where he was, being a blessing right where he was, even when he didn't see, didn't understand. And so... I'm encouraged this morning, challenged this morning, that God is sovereign, so be faithful. God is sovereign, so be a blessing. God is sovereign, so give him all the glory for it. And, you know, as we look at this, after the cupbearer remembers, ah, there was this guy, and it just so happens. And after that happens, Pharaoh says, bring him, clean him up, shave him up, whatever that means in our text here, what Egyptians did when you go to Pharaoh, get him ready and bring him to me. Then in verse 25, we see here, after hearing the dreams of Pharaoh, Joseph said, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows and seven year, are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty Ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. And then listen to this. Joseph gives credit exactly where credit is due. Verse 28, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. This is God. This is his plan. This is not about me. This is not about you. This is God giving you a dream so that he can show you what God is going to do. This is about God giving me an interpretation so that I can show you what God is about to do. He says seven years of plenty, seven years of extreme famine. And then Joseph says in verse 32, in the doubling of the Pharaoh's dreams, meaning the fact that he had two, means this thing is going to happen. It's fixed by God. And it's not just going to happen. It's going to happen shortly. So then he rolls into the plan. He gives Pharaoh his counsel. Verse 33, now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and a wise man, set him over Egypt. 
Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. Let them all be gathered. Gather the food these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. The food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that our God has told us will happen in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. It's incredible. It's incredible. And after this, Pharaoh is pleased. Oh, I love this. This is, again, subtle, but in verse 38, Pharaoh looks around to his servants. Can we find a man like this in whom the Spirit of God And whom is the Spirit of God? Listen, because Joseph was so clear to give credit to God, credit to where credit is due, to God and God alone, even Pharaoh, a leader of a pagan nation, was able to see the hand of God. In other words, because Joseph gave glory to God, Pharaoh now gives glory to God too. That is just, that will preach. Um, That is incredible. Since... God has shown you all of this. There is none so discerning and wise as you are. It's going to be you, Joseph. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. What a story. Joseph's life, this is an understatement, is one of extremes. From a pit to Potiphar's house, from a dungeon to second in command of the most powerful nation that the world had on the world stage at this time. It's incredible. And still Joseph has no idea of the plan unfolding. I mean, honestly, church, um, I think we can misinterpret this text really easily. And we can miss the point of this text all too often. It's easy to look at this and have a very... um, American dream interpretation, the uh, American dream version, the ADV translation, Um, and, and say something like this, hey, be faithful when you are wronged, be faithful, don't lash out when you're mistreated, and when you do that, God's gonna reward you, things are gonna be awesome, success is gonna come your way, he's gonna bless you till your socks don't even fit anymore. Now, Forgiveness is important. Being faithful with, you know, where you are, even when you're wrong, that is important. But hear me, you are not promised success like Joseph in his story. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can, in our flesh, boil this whole story down to something that is so self-centered and so centered around us, something so transactional. If you do this, then God will do this. And we, we can use God in that way. It's stay strong in the hard times so that you will be blessed. You will be successful. And we got to be careful because when we read Scripture this way, God becomes a means to our own ends, and we end up, whether we see it or not, using him. Using him. And, and I want to be careful because the message here is so much bigger, so much better, so much richer than that. Because beyond all of this, this is a story of the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, who would go through great means to save his people, who would go through extraordinary means to save his people. This is a story of a man who did go through 
ups and downs. And, but honestly, his journey was not ultimately about him at all. This is a, a story that everything he went through was a part of God's sovereign plan unfolding the glory, for the glory of God, for the good of his people. This is a story of God's grace on his people and on Joseph. Consider this with me. Um, things are going really well for Joseph, as we see in our text. Um, think about this. So Joseph was given and the fame of Egypt. Joseph was given the wealth of Egypt. We look in our text, we see Joseph was given the power in Egypt. We see in our text, Joseph was given the wife from Egypt. We also see in our text, Joseph was even given the name of Egypt. Zephanath Penea. I'll stay with Joseph. I think it works better. But you know something that Joseph does not ever take on? Something he never takes on in this new Egyptian life is the gods of Egypt. This is extraordinary. This is extraordinary. Joseph continues to follow Yahweh. His faith in Yahweh is not shaken. He does not take the gods of Egypt. If you look at his wife, she's a daughter of a, of a priest. Yet he does not take the gods of Egypt. This is extraordinary. In fact, in the midst of this, I want you to see something. Consider his kids. Okay. He has two boys. First is named Manasseh. Manasseh. For he said in verse 51, God has made me forget all of the hardship in all of my father's house. Notice, it is God who made me forget Yahweh. It is God's grace that Joseph is able to forget. Now, saying this does not mean that Joseph says, look, I don't remember my people. I don't remember my, the covenant I, or the people of God. No, in fact, we're gonna see later that it's quite the opposite. It means that he has now been able to forget the hardship and the bitterness of his past. The Lord has made me forget the Lord has made me forget. He forgets the hardship and the bitterness that could have so easily overtaken him. And then listen to the name of the second. 52, in the name of the second, he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. I want you to notice three things from these kids. One, Joseph gives God all the credit. All of it. Then notice number two, Joseph identifies Egypt as the land of affliction, meaning that despite all the success, uh, despite all the trappings of Egyptian culture, the, this is the land in Joseph's mind of the affliction and wandering. And then lastly, this one is so subtle, um, despite his new Egyptian wealth, power, fame, despite his Egyptian wife and Egyptian name, can we just notice here that the names of these two baby boys are not Egyptian? <laughs> these, Manasseh and Ephraim, are good old Hebrew names. Why would he name his sons with Hebrew names? Was it because he remembered his dreams or remembered it? What is clear here is that Joseph had not forgotten the covenant. He had not forgotten the God of the covenant. Now, I do believe Joseph has moved on from the bitterness and the, the pain of the past. The Lord has helped me forget. And we have a lot to learn from that because we can so easily get stuck 
so stuck in, in the bitterness of the past, but God has made me forget. I believe he's moved on. But he had not moved on from God. He had not moved on from the plan of God. His faith in God never seems to shift. Although he still has no idea of the plan unfolding. Our text ends with seven years, exactly what Joseph says, of plenty and of famine. And this boy who was once in the pit, this boy who was once sold for silver, the man who was in prison and falsely accused and helpless, now, as verse 57 says, that the whole earth came to him. <laughs> wow. The sovereignty of God just all over this. Our God is sovereign, so be faithful. Be a blessing right where you are. Our God is sovereign, so make where you are a better place for the glory of God. We are blessed to bless. We are redeemed to redeem. We are reconciled to reconcile. And I want to finish our time um, with the time that we have. I want to just direct us, anchor us in the gospel before we leave here. This comes from 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, 5, 18 and 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Here's what I want us to see as we close. The gospel does not terminate with you. The good news of the gospel, the favor of God through the gospel does not terminate or end with you. Our God is sovereignty, and in his sovereignty, he brought Joseph out of the pit, out of the prison, so that he could be used to deliver his people. In the same way, church, in God's sovereignty, he has chosen to save you by his grace. He has chosen to save you and to send Jesus to purchase you out of bondage, to send Jesus to give his life for you. He reconciled you through God's sovereignty. God saves Joseph in order to save others in his grace. In the same way, church, God has reconciled you, as we just read, in order for you to reconcile others. That he has reconciled you and then given you the ministry of reconciliation. In God's sovereignty, God just blesses Joseph with this favor, undeniable favor, that is just everywhere he went, he walks in the favor of God. And I want you to see this, because in God's sovereignty... Through the work and the person of Jesus Christ, you are just like Joseph in that you walk in the undeniable favor of God everywhere you go. Through prison or Potiphar's house, through the pit or Pharaoh's kingdom. In the favor of God through Jesus Christ, it does not end with you. You are blessed to blessed. So right where you are, whether you understand where you are or not, you might be super confused at why God has you where God has you. You might be incredibly confused. But what you can be confident about, even in that confusion, is that right where you are is right where God has you. And he's placed you there in order for you to be a blessing and to bring him glory Your God is sovereign, so make where you are a better place for the glory of God. Make 
your community. Make your office. Make your school. Church, make your church a better place for the glory of God. We have been blessed to bless, redeemed to redeem, reconciled to reconcile. Would you pray with me? Lord, we have navigated through so much this morning. I thank you for speaking. I thank you for your word. I thank you for Joseph's story that just reminds us so graciously that this is not about us, but that you are sovereign and that you are good. And that in light of your sovereignty and in the light of your providence, we now, Lord, want to be a blessing right where you have placed us. We confess that so often we do not understand why you have placed us where you have placed us. But it's not for us to know. It's not for us to know all the ins and outs of that. What we do know is that you have placed us where you have placed us for a purpose. You have called us to yourself through the gospel, and now you have given us the gospel to be ambassadors for where you have, wherever you have placed us. We are where we are to be a light for you. We are where we are to be a blessing. We are where we are to be ministers of reconciliation in our communities, our homes, our schools, our offices, and Lord, in our church. So Lord, we just pray that you would open our eyes to how we can better do that for your glory. I pray that you forgive us when we try to steal that glory from you. I pray that you forgive us when we doubt you and we doubt your goodness and we doubt your plan. And Lord, I just pray that you would grow our faith, that you would grow our trust in you, that we would pray as the man in Mark prayed that we believe, but Lord, help us in our unbelief. If we're there, would you, would you help us? Lord, to be able to give you all things wherever we find ourselves, trusting that your plan is greater, that you are good, and that nothing catches you by surprise, and that we are a part of a bigger and more beautiful story. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.